Welcome to the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh14. We've got four hosts this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet weekly since 1994, and the offline online crossover viral get out of hell free.com leo i'm leo notenboom chief question answerer out at askleo.com i'm also the publisher behind a couple of non-tech sites not all news is bad.com a daily antidote for everything else and heroicstories.com twice weekly stories of people just being good people kevin i am kevin savitz and uh, i seem to have accidentally become a professional amateur podcaster. Uh, I am host of Antic, the Atari 8-Bit podcast, which is a podcast all about Atari 8-Bit computers, and uh, co-host of Eaten by a Gru, which is a podcast about Infocom text adventure games. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer of MacMost.com, where I post new Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials, and also I make mobile games, and you can find those at clevermedia.com. I spotted an interesting story um, in several different spots. Last year, U.S. Embassy personnel in Cuba reported that strange sounds were making them ill. The supposition at the time was Cuba had deployed some sort of sonic weapon in a coordinated attack. Doctors were perplexed but ruled out it was some sort of psychosomatic panic and it was actually causing some sort of brain trauma. Well, the new thing is that researchers at the University of Michigan think they've figured out what it really is. Malfunctioning surveillance equipment, probably multiple listening devices that are interfering with each other to create an audible noise at around 7 kilohertz that's causing the problem. These are ultrasonic devices that the embassy personnel know full well that are in use both at you know the lower floors of the embassy where the cubans can get to and in their homes that are supplied by the cuban government i think the idea is kind of interesting by itself but also because if they're right this could happen at your home or office because ultrasonic devices such as motion detectors and alarm systems and security cameras could certainly do the same thing especially as they're more and more common and getting cheaper and cheaper. So the quality is probably going down. Yeah, I've always, uh, this whole story from Cuba, I think has always been fascinating to me. I mean, it's already entered into the, the basic building blocks of all conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, people talk right. about that. It was the Cubans or the Russians or somebody else with sonic weapons and, you know, pointing these little sonic guns at, embassy employees to test to see whether or not they could harm them, but leave no evidence and, uh, you know, all these conspiracy theories and stuff. And then, and it seems crazy, but when I'll, you know, these people uh, came back for, you know, they had but migraines and there were all sorts of symptoms, pretty nasty symptoms and examined by different doctors, different places in the United States that all concluded that, yeah, there is some sort of brain trauma. It's not, they're not imagining it. Um, so something is definitely causing this issue. And this is an interesting theory. Uh, probably the most reasonable one I've heard to date. Yeah, I thought so too. And I, I just think it's neat that all these different places are trying to figure out what is this. They've got some recordings of it. And they set up, you know, these these kinds of devices and had them interfere with each other. And gosh, that sounds just like the recording. It's kind of funny when I first heard this, when I first heard about the actual issue, same thing, you're kind of thinking about, okay, you know, what are they doing? Who's doing what to who? But now that this potential explanation has come to light, I'm immediately reminded of Hanlon's razor. Yeah. Basically, Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Not that this is necessarily stupidity, but it's definitely a very plausible 
very easy to understand and very easy to conceive of explanation for what's going on. Potentially even more conceivable, more easily to under, more easy to understand and implement than uh, than all the nefarious thinking that was going on before. Oh, you're falling for it too easy, sheeple. Of course, it's it's spies trying to hurt us and other people. It's got to be what it is. I, I like that. Um, I, I think that. Uh, I don't know. It's it when stuff stuff's going on at embassies and stuff. It's it's really easy to 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 think that that uh, there's some sort of sonic weapon or or something. But uh, yeah, it, this really does make a lot of sense. <laughs> well, in reality, there probably is a sonic weapon. It's just not this one. Yeah, or or you, this can be weaponized, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> now that they know about it, right? now that they know. Of course, it does. It does make that audible sound that they were complaining about. And if they can prove this, you know, if perhaps I mean these researchers were just getting the the um, sound from the from journalists, right? They weren't even getting probably the cleanest recording of it. Um, so if maybe people could work together a little bit on this, they could figure out if it actually is this. And, uh, and at that point, that point you can maybe have a way to detect that, um, you know, cause if we can hear it, then certainly you can build a device that could give you a positive that this well, kind of thing is going on. I think awareness is, is probably the, the first step here. Now that we know that this kind of a thing is possible. I mean, the people that were in the situation, they heard it. They understand, you know, they, they, you know, complained of the noise early on. And now that there is this possible explanation that is, um, you know, quite logical, then, uh, you know, gives them something to look at if they do hear it again in the future. And I'm just going to jump in and say, I think it's Occam's razor. That's the, the, if there's two explanations for something, it's the simpler one that's probably right. Well, you know, that would be one, um, but (laughs) Hanlon's, that's also true. It certainly applies, but I'm actually looking at Hanlon's razor in Wikipedia um, as originally presumed, they believe it was uh, actually written by uh, Robert Heinlein, sci-fi writer. Huh. Huh. So two different, uh, but similar. Yeah, I like like Hanlon's better because it just, you know, you know, who doesn't think that something is potentially stupid? Well, that's probably the better, you know, that's probably the better explanation anyway. Somebody's being stupid. Well, Occam's older, so whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you can link to them both in the in the show notes. And, I'll do that. And let, let people pe- decide, yeah. Let people make up their own mind. There you go. <laughs> Indeed. So, Gary, you had a, a thing, speaking of uh, noises coming from, Unknown sources. <laughs> How's that for a transition? <laughs> well, kinda. Um, <clears throat> so, so the news. The news this week is that uh, Amazon has bought a Ring, and Ring, of course, is the company or the product that uh, it, it, they're doorbell cameras. And I'm sure most people now in the United States have heard of them because they've been advertising heavily for a while. Uh, you know, the idea is that somebody walks up to your front door. There's a. It's a camera there. It can record motion. Uh, you know, detects somebody's there, records, uh, and depending upon what feature set you, you use, you could actually speak to somebody through the doorbell. You could see the live video, or maybe just get a recording. Um, and even and on Amazon, your cell phone or something, even yeah. if you're not home. Yeah, and uh, so there are various different uses for it. But you know, base, the technology, the hardware is basically a camera and a doorbell, or a camera that you can put near your front door. Some people do it that way. Um, and Amazon bought them, and uh, and the business side of it is, of course, this was a a failed uh, Shark Tank uh, company from years back that uh, s- scraped by, grew, and uh, and the sales rumored to be for a billion dollars. So the sharks really missed this one, um, and so did a lot of other investors and uh, the entrepreneurs behind it uh, prevailed, but. Uh, you know, I, I've been, I actually had on our story list weeks ago to talk about doorbell cameras um, before this sale happened because it seems like uh, in the, the consumer tech world, doorbell cameras have been getting more and more attention. Uh, if you use Nextdoor, um, they've been advertising there uh, as they recognize that a large portion of the posts on Nextdoor are people complaining about porch pirates. Uh, people, you know, stealing your mail, your packages from your front door before you get home. Um, and the idea is, you know, this a doorbell camera can 
somehow prevent that. Uh, it can, what it can definitely do is catch them on video. And uh, there, so the tons of people I saw saying, you got to get one of these. Somebody would say, hey, a package was stolen from my front door. And somebody's saying, you got to get a, one of the Ring doorbell cameras or some other brand of doorbell camera. And they've been advertising, hey, you know, get these, prevent package thefts and all that. And uh, I've even had that suggested to me. Oh, you've got to get one of these, even though I haven't had one stolen. It's like, you got to get it before it happens to you. And my rant about it is, is that I, I'm sure it's happened, but I've yet to see anybody recover anything because they have video of it. You know, they could get security camera video, video from, uh, you know, one of the wireless webcams they pointed to the front porch, video from this ring doorbell. I see tons of people posting to Reddit and to Nextdoor uh, video of, look, I caught a porch pirate stealing one of my packages. He actually didn't catch them. You just got a video of them. They got your package and got away. And I've been waiting and waiting, waiting for somebody to report that they got their package back. And it just hasn't happened. People have just been very satisfied with the fact that they get video of their package being stolen, even though they never get their package back. Because, of course, you know, how would that one piece of evidence, you know, really help that much? You know, it's not it's not a major crime for the police. You know, when they're dealing with murders and, you know, uh, car thefts and stuff like that, you know, getting your your vitamin supplement stolen off your front porch, you know, and if that were in a cardboard box is not going to uh, be a, you know, calling all cars kind of situation. So my argument is that people are spending like $200 on a, uh, a doorbell cam, and they're trying to do that to prevent the theft of like a $40 package that it won't actually prevent the theft of because they're still going to lose their $40 package and not get it back. And all they're going to get is souvenir video of it happening. So well, maybe it's a neighbor, though, so they'll recognize them. Yeah, but it hasn't happened yet. I haven't seen any it of that. Has. It has. Oh, um, somebody has caught their neighbor? I just, while you were talking, yeah. uh, Google, <laughs> Google is my friend, um, and it turns out there's at least a local story. There may, there may be some local to you, but in this case, um, this is quoting from the uh, King 5 local TV station news page. Bothell porch theft suspects appear in court. The porch theft suspect seen falling and injuring herself appeared in court in a wheelchair. Two people caught on surveillance video in a, in court were in court Wednesday to face theft charges. Uh, two names then are accused of taking packages from a porch in Bothell. Yeah, but how the, often? I mean, the video of the pair went viral after the. I want that link. I oh yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> other, it's a this is true benefits. story. Yeah, um, there are other benefits. To I mean, we have an Arlo uh, camera. It's not quite a doorbell camera, but it's it's one of those wireless cameras that you you aim you know near your your one of their front door, one of the back door, and um, see see some of the benefits benefits of it. Um, we had we were out of town, and uh, we had a a house sitter who was supposed to take care of the cats, and so we were out of town and we noticed that there hadn't been any notifications that uh, someone had come in to say, feed the cats. And I sent a, a message to this person and I said, like, you know, how's everything? How are the cats? And they're like, uh, everything's fine. And I knew for a fact that they hadn't been <laughs> in the house. Yeah. So super helpful. Um, and also <laughs> regarding the cats, uh, we have one on the back door, which lets us know when the cat wants in. If we're, say, you're up in the bedroom or something, and the phone starts to buzz and there's motion detected at, uh, at the back door and it's the cat sitting there, you know, scratching, just going, come on, come on, let me in, please. And so, Can you uh, push a button and let it in? No, but that's, uh. what, children, that's what children are for. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because some friends of ours have this at their house and um, they've, they've used it to, spy is such a strong word, but they've used it to be aware of what the other is doing from time to time. <laughs> um, so, you know, the woman will be visiting here and, and the husband will take the dog out at home and she'll notice and see that something's going on out there. It's just kind of funny. But yes, they definitely use it um, remotely to uh, see who's at the door and they have actually had conversations, short ones, obviously, um, with the people standing at their door while they were here visiting us. So there are definitely some conveniences there. I mentioned before we were recording that I'm planning on actually getting uh, probably a ring uh, for my house. Our doorbell is actually currently broken 
and uh, it just seems like a, a good time to uh, to upgrade. We're not in a situation where package or porch theft is really an issue. It's more the convenience factor of being able to a have a working doorbell, but also you know the the ability to see who's there and, and maybe even interact with them if we don't feel like putting on clothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely think the answering your door use for a ring is much more useful than the preventing or not preventing package theft. Uh, that's definitely, if, if you need it for that, I think you've got a strong case for, for getting one. But I think the people getting it just to prevent package theft are uh, kind of fooling themselves that it's going to pay off in the long run. You're better off just saying, hey, package didn't arrive. Send me another one. So here's a question. If this becomes prevalent, you know, lots of people end up putting these things on their on their door, and they actually are fairly obvious, and it's fairly clear what they are. Mm-hmm. Would the mere presence of such a thing potentially eventually end up acting as a deterrent? Well, so far, it's not because you're seeing all these. Uh, you know, <laughs> we see these videos of people coming up to the door to check. This is one of the most common things: checking to see if the doors locked because that's like one of the easy ways burglars get in right you just go down a neighborhood in the middle of a work day when you think everybody's not there you ring a bunch of doorbells you try the door and maybe you're going to find somebody left the door open easy you you know nobody's nobody's home the door is open you're good so you get people saying look at this guy he came up to my door rang the doorbell and then he tried my door and then he and then he left i don't know who he is and he looks shabby and all that stuff and uh so I, they're not, and they're not noticing that it's a ring doorbell there. I mean, it, that would be pretty obvious to look and see that you're on camera. Interesting. I, like I said, maybe, maybe, uh, especially if Amazon buys it, it gets way more publicity. Maybe it will become a, a more visible deterrent. But yeah, interesting. I was aware on on, on Reddit there is a forum called uh, Dashcam where people yeah. post interesting Dashcam videos from from their cars. And uh, I just looked to see if there was a door cam subreddit, and there doesn't seem to be. But oh. I guess watching uh, watching packages get stolen is maybe not as universally interesting as watching cars crash into each other. Well, I don't know. Well, I think other- dash cams are yeah. great, and I, I have them. Go yeah. ahead, Gary. Anybody see that? Uh, there's, a, there's a film out now uh, with all the Russian dash cam, some of the best Russian dash cam footage. I haven't uh, watched it, but I watched the trailer which seemed to be just as entertaining as probably the movie is watching the trailer. Well, a couple of years ago when that meteor came into Russia yeah. and uh, exploded in, in midair and caused a lot of injuries and damage, they were able to track exactly where that thing came down because they had so many different dash cams, which often have uh, GPS receivers in them. So they're marking exactly where they are, so they were able to triangulate from all these videos and find out exactly where that thing landed, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it definitely seems to be a cultural thing. Uh, dash cams in Russia, they, they far higher percentage of the population just has them. Yeah, apparently it's a big thing in Russia to um, back into somebody and then say they rear-ended you, so that's one way to prove that you were innocent. Yeah. That and the uh, crooked cops, I guess. Yeah. Well, in which case, of course, that's a great use for a camera because you actually can stop the crime. Whereas the porch pirates, you know, he's just some guy came up, took took a package and nobody knows who he is and nobody's going to turn him in and police aren't going to look for him. It's kind of a dead end. But if you see him, you know, on the street, you can beat him up. I, I guess. It's doubtful so, that they live in your neighborhood. They probably can, can, can Gary can Gary beat him up, though. Yeah, true. Well, true. We'll see. Actually, I was I was just sort of thinking that, you know, Randy, Kevin, between the three of us, one of us should make a trip over to Gary's place and just sort of steal a package off his plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am the closest. You're elected. Yeah. Okay, Gary, let me know when you when you uh, order something really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem the thing is I, you know, I work from home, so Right. You know, it's like uh, maybe that's one of the reasons I don't get my packages don't sit there. They get pulled in r- r- well right away. And a lot of the carriers will actually ring the doorbell and give me a minute to, get, to come down. So they don't yeah, sit there so at all. It's kind of the same thing for me. My office actually um, overlooks the driveway. So I see them coming in and I'll go to actually chat with them, right? Like I know the UPS driver's name. He's Mike. Um, <clears throat> so the opportunity, the window of actual theft opportunity here is also pretty, pretty small. 
Yeah, and I can hear my UPS driver coming because you know, those yeah. trucks have a really distinct sound to them. Oh, yeah. And by the time she's parked and uh, walking up to the porch, I'm standing there and she hands it right to me. So Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. yeah. Same thing here. You heard it here first. Do not steal from the hosts of the Tech Enthusiast Hour no. podcast. It won't work. It will not work. Yes. <laughs> you will be seen. <laughs> cool. So All right. So speaking of trust and security, trust Leo, you've got security. something was, uh, kind of oh, interesting. I was waiting for someone to use that as a segue. So this is actually kind of complicated on the back end, but the actual results are the, you know, what it means to quote unquote real people is, is actually pretty simple. Um, sometime in the next couple of weeks, some of the websites you visit using HTTPS as your protocol, as the protocol, uh, may start throwing browser errors, depending on what browser you're using. It may say that the certificate is either invalid or that it's been revoked. And like I said, the backend story is, is actually pretty complicated. There are a couple of different certificate uh, issuing authorities that are kind of sort of arguing with one another. Um, it all stems back to uh, Symantec uh, about a year ago. Uh, they basically weren't following the agreed upon protocols, the agreed upon um, way to both generate and authenticate SSL certificates that they were issuing. And Google just said, okay, enough of that. We're giving you a deadline. And as of that deadline, um, any certificates that uh, you know, are of a certain age and, and so forth that can be traced back to semantic uh, are we're just not going to trust them anymore. We're going to remove that and our browser is going to start throwing warnings and so forth. This is a subset of that. Uh, Semantic actually sold their uh, the, the certificate issuing component of their business to another company, DigiCert. And apparently, this is the part that's a little fuzzy to me anyway. Um, apparently, uh, there was a an issue with DigiCert or somebody saying, hey, you know, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to proactively revoke these things. We're not going to um, you know, inform our users that their certificates are about to become untrusted. Uh, you know, apparently they intended for the users, the, the website owners, to just sort of find out on their own as their customers started complaining. Well, one of the things that happened is that uh, somebody complained that there was no proof, I guess, that some of this was going on. So they emailed the private certificate for 27,000 websites uh, to the CEO of, I think the CEO of one company emailed them to the CEO of another company. 27,000 certificates is a lot to do by email, so I suspect it wasn't a direct email, but you get the idea. There are two things wrong with that. One, uh, believe it or not, the company that issues the private certificates, the private, uh, the private uh, part of an SSL certificate, Technically, they're actually not supposed to keep them. Uh, they're supposed to give them to the site owner. So, for example, when I got a certificate for askleo.com, they gave me the private certificate, and I don't believe they're actually supposed to keep it. Nonetheless, whether they keep it or not, because I can see it as a convenience, they shouldn't be emailing them to anybody. They shouldn't be giving them to, thir to, to anybody ever for no reason at all. So... The fact that this happened and came to light uh, is caused the company to uh, issue a, uh, an actual revocation, uh, which is a way to proactively say this certificate is no longer valid now, uh, so that for 27,000 websites, some point very soon, those sites are going to start throwing errors, I believe in all browsers, because their certificates have been revoked. It's confusing, again, because there were 50,000 websites involved, but only 27,000 have been involved in this email debacle. And as a result, there's this other 23,000 or whatever that nobody really seems to know what's going to happen with, but they all still trace back to semantics. So eventually, they're all going to become invalid anyway. <sighs> It's a mess. It's, it's actually a fairly confusing mess. And like I've, I've said a couple of times, it's mostly companies arguing amongst themselves about whether or not proper protocol was followed and what to do when, in the case of email, it explicitly wasn't. The, the really thing that, that got me about it, though, is that 
there was a single point of failure that was really, really stupid. I mean, emailing the private certificates to say, hey, this is, this is my proof that there's a problem and emailing them for God's sake. Yeah. Um, just shows how tender and uh, how much risk there is to something stupid really causing a big problem online. Yep, it can happen. And, and you know, if if something like this does happen, well, to go back to Occam's razor, you know, it's not necessarily going to be malicious or Hanlon's razor. I get them confused. Yes, Hanlon's in this case. <laughs> um, it's not necessarily a malicious act. It's a stupid act. Um, for those that don't quite understand why we're, why we're harping so much on email, email itself is fundamentally not secure. Uh, you have to take extra steps, in some cases, multiple extra steps in order to truly send something to someone else in a way that cannot be intercepted or interpreted in, you know, along the route. So the fact that email was used at all as a way to either transfer these or transfer a pointer to these or who knows um, is just fundamentally wrong and, yes, stupid. Especially for a company that is about security. Exactly. And apparently, like I said, one, there was a CEO who did it. So it's like it's, it's, it's a problem at the very top. What's going to happen, what's presumably going to happen over the course of the next few weeks and months is that, like I said, some of the websites you visit may start throwing browser errors. There are two things that you probably want to look for. One is what's the type of error? You know, make sure you're going to the right site, of course. But if the error is about a certificate being revoked, well, chances are it's this problem. Uh, you'll probably want to just not go there if you can, delay, because a revocation, especially if it's going to impact lots and lots of people, um, is probably going to cause the hosting website to, A, get really annoyed at the certificate uh, issuing authority, and B, run out and get a new certificate from a different authority. Which can happen, you know, within the hour. I, yes. I've, when I've bought certificates, you know, it, it doesn't take very long. It's a little bit of a pain, but you won't necessarily be offline for a long time or exactly in fact i'm i'm embarrassed to say i'm pretty sure i did it at least once several years ago i just forgot to realize that one of the one of the certs i had was expiring and all of a sudden i started getting complaints that hey i'm getting this pop up on your when i come visit your site and yes it was very quickly dealt with um the other the other one that's going to happen is when uh google chrome stops uh, recognizing or stop accept, stops accepting these semantic origin certificates um, as being valid. That's an easy one to test. Um, that's one that's very simple. Fire up a different browser because it's Google Chrome that's taking the lead here. It's Google that's taking the lead here in not certifying or not paying attention to these things. Fire up Internet Explorer. Fire up Safari. It's one of the one of the browsers. Firefox, that, yeah, or Firefox. <laughs> One of the ones that uses a different certificate store and just sort of, you know, use that as a test, if you will. Again, like Randy was saying, it's going to be pretty quick for these affected sites to, you know, end up turning around and fixing the problem. Assuming they're paying attention. Which, you know, their customers are paying attention, right? It's the people that are visiting the site that right. are going to raise the red flag and complain to their customer support or whatever. But, um you know, it, it ultimately, I think it's going to be a very short-lived issue, but it's going to be very confusing for the average computer user to suddenly, uh, you know, wonder if the site that they're visiting is valid, if they've personally been hacked somehow. I mean, that's that's where people go these days. It's it's exactly the first thing that comes to mind, uh, even when uh, it's something significantly less benign. I'm worried that the average user with messages like this and other security messages that, that are relatively new, are, are, the average user is going to start clicking past them and, and ignoring them. Yes. For instance, right now, uh, if you, in many browsers, I believe in Chrome, if you go to a, an HTTP site, you get a message saying, this that site is not secure. And which, as we we I think think you talked about it a couple of weeks ago when I wasn't here, it, it might not be a site that needs to be secure. You're just you know reading about just reading information. Um, but if people see that enough, they're going to learn to ignore it, to click past it. Uh, there's an another message that I can't actually find right now that I get in Safari from time to time, where I, I click through a site and it gives me some message about how. 
the certificate is is not up to date and and then I've got to do like three extra clicks just to go to the site anyway. And I do because I'm just, like I said, just reading the site, just click, click, click. And here's yet another security message that most of the average user isn't going to understand or, or really care to learn about. And if, if these different messages keep coming at people, uh, what are they going to do? They're going to stop? They're going to learn about these issues? No, they're just going to click through, ignore it, and learn that this stuff isn't important when some of it is. Exactly. We're, we're basically training our users that the messages aren't to be believed. And that's really unfortunate. Um, the one scenario that you mentioned where you have to click through a couple, two different t- things, I think that's, um, to, put it, to put it bluntly, it's a geeks only issue. That's if you're going to a site that has a self-signed certificate. Um, then uh, the browsers will throw up a very nasty warning that says, you know, this thing really isn't certificate. Are you sure you want to? Proceed. It's unsafe. You know, mm-hmm. click here, click here, and then you finally get through. Um, and it's just like problem. I'm just trying to look at pictures of cats here, guys. It's <laughs> like I said, it's it's geeks only in that we usually end up seeing it only when we're looking at our own back ends. That's getting better in the sense that uh, some of the uh, server software that we're all running is now starting to automatically install some more readily available SSL certificates that actually do validate. So that I think is something we're going to see less and less of, but. We're in a position to understand. We understand the difference between, you know, HTTP and HTTPS. We know why technically it's correct. HTTP is not secure. But like you said, for so many sites, it just doesn't matter. Google's take on that in Chrome is also controversial. It's unrelated to the certificate issue I've been talking about, but it's still another case of Google trying to influence the design of something that they ultimately don't have the authority to control. And yet, because they're so big, because they have such a presence, Google Chrome has over 50% of the browser market share. Um, Because of that, they're taking that as a license to say, well, we want things to work this way, so we're just going to make it happen. Go ahead, Gary. Oh, the I just gonna add that the the point about users not understanding the error messages just reminds me of a story from years and years ago when I had a user ask me a uh, about an error message they saw. It was something a programmer would see and not think twice about. And people who've been using computers for a long time have probably seen an error saying illegal operation. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> their concern was, what law did my computer break? And am I? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I responsible for breaking such law? Yep, yep. And it's not. You can go to jail. It's actually not an uncommon question. I've gotten it from a couple people over the years as well. More likely, you know, more commonly, um, this comment that I mentioned earlier, where the very first people think of when something goes wrong, just pretty much anything goes wrong. At sometimes, um, have I been hacked? Because that's what they hear. That's what they see in the news all the time. And they immediately go there. They're very concerned that they've done something to their computer that's allowed it to be hacked or that someone is, you know, remote accessing their computer or whatever. And yeah, sometimes it happens, but it just doesn't happen as often as people really think it does. It's not the first thing you necessarily want to go to. And it is, in fact, something that I expect to be hearing, you know, in the coming weeks as these certificate errors start to pop. Right. Or they, or they think, they say, do I have a virus? You know, it's something... Simple, oh, yeah, you know, I was using an app and it crashed. Do I have a virus? You know, yep. Right away they jump to that. And then, of course, just even using the term virus nowadays, uh, you know, it's always like, oh, you know, that's pretty serious. If, if your computer has a, an actual virus, then that's really serious. But you probably have nothing. And if you do have something, maybe it's a Trojan, <laughs> not a virus. Anyway, to everybody listening, you know, when the certificate errors pop, look at them closely, take a breath, uh, try a different browser if, if, if you want, or just wait a, wait a day if you can. Yeah. I mean, chances are the site, the, the site that's throwing the problem is probably going to get it fixed pretty quick. Gary, you just reminded me of something. I just want to add in that this, this is apropos of, of nothing. It has nothing to do with the previous conversation. Um, I got a call. I got one of those, those, those scam calls the other day. Um, and it, it was a person with a, with a, with a heavy accent and it didn't sound like it was, it was a call coming from, from, uh, from the United States. And he's just like, Oh, I'm calling from the security department. Uh, there, there's a, there's a problem with your computer. And, I was just about to get in the car and, and had to drive to pick up my kid or something. And so I just went, uh, 
oh, you know, I think I've got spyware and I've got viruses and I'm really glad you called. I really need your help. <laughs> and and uh, he's just like, well, cer- certainly, sir, I will, I, will, I will help you. And so he proceeds to walk me through, he was asking me questions about my computer and what was on the screen. And I was just like, he's like, what's on your screen, sir? I'm just like, oh, it's just a, it's a picture of a cat. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> just being stupid. And, uh, and so he was walking and the connection started getting bad and I, I was, I was driving and, and uh, he, he was uh, trying to get me to click on things. And eventually I figured out he had me go to some website. He had me go to some uh, website and, and enter this this weird this weird ass url it was just like you know w h b you know dot poland or something and you would think it would be microsoft.com yeah you'd think yeah anyway so i had to go to the website and and download some some software and anyway i waste i don't know i i don't know if i wasted his time or he wasted mine but i was having fun uh <laughs> then you so weren't you were wasting, wasting his time. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and, yeah, and eventually I had to give it up because I, I didn't know what his software was going to put on my screen. So he kept asking me like what I was seeing on the screen. I'm just like, uh, there's a pointy little arrow. It's, that's really nice. I can wiggle it around, you know? Uh, so <laughs> anyway, there are, some, there are definitely some, uh, actually, I think if you go to YouTube, there are a couple of people that have recorded doing exactly that. It's become a bit of a challenge to see how long you can keep the guys on the, uh, on the line. Yeah, but it's like a sport for some people. <laughs> Absolutely. Although, you know, so what you could have done, of course, is told them, well, I didn't know my Atari had a problem like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I found that these guys tend to hang up very quickly once they realize that you're not going with the, with the program, which is what this guy did. I mean, once I, I knew the jig was up, I was just like, you know, you need to find a, a better job where you're helping people, not hurting them. And just click. It was, he was just gone. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> on to the next one. On yep. to the next victim. It's, it's kind of sad that, you know, it's kind of like the old, um, um, the Nigerian scam that it's older than dirt. People hear about it all the time and yet it continues to exist because it's just successful enough. Yeah. yeah. It's so old. They used to do it by fax. Yep. Real paper. <laughs> yeah. Old technology. So, Kevin, you mentioned that you were gone for a couple of weeks, and I yeah. think the listeners deserve to know where the <laughs> heck you were and whether you were geeking or not. I was geeking hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was on the Joko Cruise, which is an annual uh, cruise that is uh, developed a very geeky, nerdy audience. Um, so officially, the, the Joko Cruise is a fan cruise for fans of the musician Jonathan Colton. Uh, he is a great musician. He, people might know him from, uh, he's the, the, the in-house musician from the NPR show, Ask Me Another. Uh, but he has a lot of songs that are in, of interest to geeks. For instance, one about a a, a lovelorn uh, uh, code monkey and another one about a, another song about, you know, a mad scientist up on a hill uh, who's in love and things like that. So, but the cruise, even if you don't know who this guy is, this cruise has developed uh, and, and, and all the people who go on this cruise are, are nerds. And um, there's, so every year there's, there's a great lineup of, of uh, of guests who who speak and do music and that sort of thing, and then the people who go on the cruise um, set up shadow cruise events where they will talk about the things that that interest them. And so you know there might be just just the days are just filled with stuff happening, the mus- musical events or uh, the the founder of Make Magazine talking about how he lost thousands of dollars uh, uh, in Bitcoin by putting them on a, a on a secure USB device and then losing the password and then how he, oops. Yeah. And then how he hacked it to, to get the Bitcoin uh, uh, back. And then uh, regular people like me on the cruise hosting little events. There's a, there's a craft room and, and people creating, you know, sewing and people making fezes and stuff. And then there's like tech stuff where people are, are having, uh, having uh, uh, video games on board and there's a, it was a media room where people playing all sorts of games and people doing uh, text adventure games, that sort of thing. Um, 
so all sorts of different nerdery from computers and music and stuff. And I go, I've go, gone on this, this cruise every year. And uh, this was the, I think, seventh time I have gone on this cruise. And uh, it's super a lot of fun. Next and I year, understand they, they actually yeah. take over the entire ship. There's that many people. Yes. Um, the first several cruises, uh, the, the Joko group shared a ship. And now they, the last two years, they've taken over the whole ship. They're using one of the smaller ships. Uh, uh, this year was on, on the, uh, the Holland America's Oosterdam, um, which is not their biggest ship by any means. And, uh, but still hundreds and hundreds. Hundreds of people, yes. And uh, really good crowd of interesting people doing, doing interesting things. Yeah. Uh, the, the cruise for next year has been announced. Um, I think we should all go and record an episode of uh, Tech Enthusiast Hour from there. Uh, I've already signed up for it. Um, so and the 2019 cruise will be uh, uh, Bahamas and uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And uh, they've already booked uh, They Might Be Giants will be one of the guest performers Ooh. next year. Yeah. So what other kinds of speakers, I mean, are there quote-unquote nerd celebrities or what oh sure there's there's uh nerd celebrities uh will wheaton is there most every year he i think he is king of the nerds um uh writers like uh patrick rothfuss and john scalzi that uh, a lot of nerds are are uh, into um uh, Max Temkin was supposed to be there this year. Actually, had to had to bow out. He's one of the, I think, the founder of uh, Cards Against Humanity. Um, uh, let's see who else. Uh, comedians uh, like uh, like Rhea Butcher and uh, all sorts of great musicians like Paul and Storm and uh, Zoe Keating and and uh, things like that. I don't know I if I'm selling it. it enough, but it's, it's, take a look. it's a good time. Yeah. It's I've, a, I've a, certainly heard of it before, but, um, but I've never considered going on it. So maybe I'll look. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to go one year. Definitely. Uh, it definitely seems like my kind of thing. And I, and I am a Jonathan Colton fan. So, <laughs> so right there, I fit in in all aspects. I'm looking at the page right now. So it's the same ship apparently. Yeah, they're doing the same ship next year as they did uh, this year. You know, I have to wonder when they were sharing the ship what the people that weren't part of this were thinking. Oh, <laughs> oh, I could tell you. <laughs> Some of them, um, you know, as as you may know, uh, the typical cruise ship guest is an older person, uh, and so it was this weird mix of younger nerdier type and when i younger i mean you know a lot of uh, between you know, 30s and 40s but certainly there are people there from eight years old to to you know in the 70s and 80s but in tip typically i think and i average were probably younger than the normal cruise ship crowd so there was half of us being younger nerds and half of them being the older uh people looking for a traditional cruise ship experience. And some of them were really into it, like asking questions and, you know, where you're from and why you're wearing, you know, the, that Star Trek uniform and, and, uh, with a pocket <laughs> protector. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and some of them are just like, of course, you know, just, there's always people, but just like, Oh, you know, what's going on here? You know, these people are taking over my boat. Uh, so that was fun. We, we, we lovingly called the, the non Joko cruisers snorks. Um, um. <laughs> so, so. That beats muggles, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's basically it's the it was the muggle of the Joker cruise, but now there's no snorks because we uh, we have a whole boat to ourselves. Pretty funny. Pretty cool. I have to look at that. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess you're excused from missing a couple of episodes. <laughs> Thank you. So you you mentioned the guy from um, uh, Cards Against Humanity. Did yeah. either of you, uh, any of you sign up for this last round of stuff that they did? I think, I don't think it was Saves America. It was the one after that. Uh, basically, you send them like $5 and they send you some stuff for a while. I, I missed that. Uh, I, I, I signed up too. For, I, I, I signed up for Cards Against Humanity Saves America and I enjoyed that very much. I did too, uh, yeah. Yep. And I missed the, if there was another one. There was another one after that. So one of the things they did is they collected up a bunch of money and uh, they have now fully funded a podcast 
uh, for good news. So cool. every, every day there's a daily, it's like, you know, 10, 20 minutes uh, podcast where they just have a couple of people talking about good news. They've interviewed some people. They've, they've, um, uh, you know, they always start out with, you know, here's what didn't happen today and list off a couple of, you know, you know, the things we're always worried about that actually never happened. Um, so it was, it, that I thought was a, an actually a really good use of my money. I mean, you know, granted, given what I, what I introduced myself with, you know, doing not all news is bad and, and heroic stories, I'm always trying to promote, um, you know, the better side of humanity. But uh, I thought this was an interesting use of the, of the funds that they collected, and I, I hope they continue with it. But, nice. There's but, a, uh, uh, he, he uh, Max Temkin is uh, one of the, the hosts of a podcast uh, called Dubai Friday, um, and it's a it's a challenge podcast where they give each other some sort of task to do and then and then they do it and they talk about it. Um, the podcast is hilarious, but he is so funny. He is he is uh, he's brilliant. And uh, well, I'm, certainly his his work would certainly back that up, yeah. <laughs> right? Given the stuff that he's done, well, it's one thing to be funny uh, on paper when you've had time to think about it, and it's another funny to be it's another thing to be funny in the moment and. Uh, he, I guess, can do both. Yeah, good for him. Hmm. Hmm. And that podcast you mentioned before, Leo, it's uh, the Good News Podcast. That's what it's called. Yeah, I was actually trying actually, to look it up here. There it is, yeah. the Good News Podcast. Good, yeah, we'll, we'll throw a link to that. FM. Yeah, we can throw the link in for that too. So sounds like it's worth a listen. Yeah. It yep. short, looks like short episodes. Perfect. So something to set your day off on a, on a slightly more positive note than most of our major mass media would, uh, would have you believe. So Randy. Yes, sir. You want to talk about. So the website w3techs.com does what it calls web technology surveys and their latest numbers on the content management systems that run websites I thought was pretty interesting. They look at the top 10 million websites to get their data. And the latest finding is that 30% of them now use WordPress as their underlying CMS. It's what I use. And the wild part is that the number two package, Joomla, runs just 3.1% of those sites. And when they looked at client-side programming languages, they found Microsoft's Silverlight is only used by 0.1% of sites. Wow. JavaScript rules at almost 95% with Flash down to just over 5%. And the other thing that I know that, Leo, you'll confirm this is a black art, character encodings. <laughs> we chose UTF-8 for, for the, some projects uh, you were doing with me, and that was the right choice. That dominates with 91%. And a big surprise for me, slightly less than half of all the top 10 million sites use cookies and only 22% run Google ads. I would have guessed both of those would have been a lot higher. Way higher, yeah. Yeah. 22%, wow. Hmm. Interesting. It is interesting. It's funny because I've got, um, as I've mentioned before, you know, I do my own websites. I've got, I think I've got something like 20 WordPress installs right now. Um, but I'm also encouraging some of the friends for whom I am the webmaster to uh, move to WordPress as well, just because, you know, the solution that they've had for a long time, uh, in fact, you remember, uh, you know, you and I think Randy, you and I both, we started in movable type back in the day. That was the way back in the old days. Yeah. And we, you know, we placed our bet there and unfortunately that didn't work. Uh, you know, movable type is no longer, I don't know if it's even on the list that you were just reading from. No, I didn't see it anyway. Yeah. Um, the site that I've actually was exchanging email with the site owner this afternoon um, is a site that I developed for her in, in movable type. And now it's to the point where, you know what, to actually continue to make changes to this website, um, the very first thing we should do is just move it to WordPress. Not only is that now way easier for me to do because I've got so many WordPress sites already. It's second nature. But because there are so many WordPress sites out there, it's a lot easier to find somebody else to help should you want to. 
Hmm. Lots and lots of people know WordPress. And um, while they may not have the depth, the technical depth that someone like I might have, you know, so I'll go in and I'll solve a problem by writing my own plugin. That's not the kind of stuff you need on a day-to-day basis. Just someone who can manage a website for you is, is pretty easy to come by if your site is running WordPress, not so much if it's running something else or, heaven forbid, as I know some of you have done, uh, running custom software uh, from the ground up. So that's Which very cool. Which is what I used to do also. Yeah, and who was the guy? Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember. I think he encouraged you to move to uh, WordPress. <laughs> well, you know, you, you use the tools you have or you have available. And back in the day, uh, WordPress and movable type were kind of like beta and VHS. Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was the same type of thing. They both worked. They, were, they both were approximately on a par. One of them might have looked kind of technically superior for some reasons. And you went that way. But guess what? VHS won. And that's yep. WordPress. Well, I, I used to have a, a blog that, uh, that uh, did very well for a while, but it, it was I ran it on a CMS called Geeklog, which, so if those are beta and VHS, I picked like, you know. Super 8 or something. Super 8, exactly. Yeah, yeah I was going to say 8 millimeter. Yeah, I, I bet wrong. But uh, it was time, eventually I moved it to, to WordPress, but now that's, the site is, is no more. Yeah, well, MacMost is WordPress, and I actually even spec'd out a, a very unusual website recently, uh, a whole project that had really nothing to do with being a blog or anything, and I was going to build it custom. I didn't end up building it, but I was going to build it custom, and then one day as a mind exercise, I said, well, what if I built it on top of WordPress? That would be ridiculous, and then as I thought about it, I said, actually, no, that would actually take me less time to build this very non-blog looking thing on WordPress uh, than it would to actually build something from scratch. Yeah, I've, I've viewed it that way for quite a while, that WordPress, while it certainly has its roots in blogging, and there are definitely some things about it that are continue to be very blogish, uh, referring to it as a content management system is really more accurate because it is a very effective way to manage content and get websites up quickly. Heck, I've used it for one-page sites. It's just that much easier if I know that I'm going to be changing a page or making an occasional tweak to a page. It's just that much easier for me to, uh, to do now that I've got, you know, so many of them. Right. And, yeah, and, I, and I use it for a lot of different sites like the get out, get out of hell free.com. It's not a blog in any sense, but it's a lot easier to manage and have it there. And if I need to do some tweaks, it's real easy. Are you using it for spam primer too? Yes. Spamprimer.com is uh, WordPress. Yeah, which is a great example of, of a, I mean, certainly get out of hell free is, but Spam Primer to me is a wonderful example of a 100% reference site. Right. You have a bunch of static information on multiple pages. Yep, you could and you did originally have it, you know, uh, coded up as, as separate HTML pages. But once you, uh, once you move it to something like WordPress, you get a consistent look across the entire site. It's easy to make changes. It's easy to keep it up to date. Um, a while back, there was a theory that Google, the search engine, liked WordPress. I don't know that that ever actually was true, but I think that also incentivized a number of people to uh, to give it a try as well. So, yeah, you know, WordPress, from a uh, development standpoint, it's really interesting because it's built on top of PHP, Correct. which most serious web developers now will turn their noses up at. And, uh, you know, and I like to remind such people that, well, you know, WordPress is bigger than anything that you're using or building, and it's built on PHP. So there's that. And both PHP and WordPress have, you know, been tied together in terms of security with having some pretty bad security in the past. Most of the bad WordPress security stuff has been because PHP has been bad at security. But both have been growing. I mean, uh, you know, a month doesn't go by that there's not updates for both PHP and WordPress. And they grow in leaps and bounds. And anybody that, you know, looks today at, you know, th- talks today about, you know, WordPress as this vulnerability, that vulnerability, usually those things, when I hear them, they're talking about years old vulnerabilities that don't apply to the current PHP or WordPress. 
Right. But the sites that end up getting compromised are people that you belong to people that haven't done the job of keeping their site up to date. If there's one drawback to WordPress, it is that, yes, because it is such a large target, you really do need to keep it up to date. Uh, There are tools to make it easier. You know, I certainly don't visit 20 sites every time there's an update. Um, I've got a front end tool that I use um, called iThemes Sync that basically does it all for me. But if there's going to be a website compromised based on WordPress or PHP, it's because somebody didn't keep it up to date. Actually, the, the core, WordPress core, has not been getting updated that dramatically quickly uh, of late. It's been relatively stable, and the changes have been relatively minor, which is actually pretty encouraging. Right. And they, they have a nice auto-update function, which uh, I took the leap into recently, so instead of getting the notification that, oh, I've got to update WordPress again, I get the notification that, oh, my WordPress has been updated. Yes. Uh, and I know that at this point, my custom plugins and my custom theme and all that being old and well-developed are, are really robust. So I don't think any any of these updates are ever going to to break it. Okay. Um, and, uh, and yeah, things have been pretty smooth in, in that regard for a while. So Gary, you mentioned PHP and... To loop it right back into the subject, the w3techs.com survey also notes what's the most popular server-side programming languages. Number one is PHP with 83% of sites using it. And PHP is the fastest growing server-side programming language. Wow. So, so much for all those people that love Ruby and Python. I could say, who's number two? ASP.net is number two with about 14%, and oh, Java okay. is down there with 2.4%. Fascinating. Wow. Don't even and static that. sites, like, like I used to hand code my own pages back in the day, 1.7%. So there's, that's a surprisingly larger number as far as I can figure. I'd be, my guess would be that those are, uh, to put it politely, legacy sites. Yeah, sites that just aren't worth updating but still have valuable content that wants to sure. stay online. I've got a few of those. <laughs> and number five is Cold Fusion with 0.6%. Cold Fusion's still, still around. around? Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> anymore. Speaking of legacy sites, huh? No kidding. That's amazing. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Hmm. All right. Good stuff. Well, do we have any uh, interesting uh, projects, books we've been reading, things like that? I've been reading the uh, that book that uh, Bill Gates recommended as the best book ever. Um, the I forget the exact title about the Enlightenment. It's basically you know the world really is getting better regardless of what. Uh, we'll uh, link to that on the show page. All the headliners are all about. Yep, um, it's. I go. I always go into those kinds of books skeptically, uh, just because, not because I don't believe in the subject matter, but I'm more interested in the writing style and and how it's backed up. And uh, I've been really impressed so far. Uh, every once in a while, I think you know I should give a book to more people, and this might be the one. I think I've read that read that book uh, earlier, and uh, well, this yeah, one just came it. out like within the last three weeks or so. Oh, so it's a a new book of the same <laughs> type. I'll have to maybe read that one. Yep. It's, it's good to have something, you know, enthusiastic to read exactly. rather than, yeah, the other way around. Between that and your good news podcast, you'll, you'll be the happiest guy. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, I'm, like, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I am pretty happy no matter what. Even in the current political climate, I stay pretty happy. Um, the other thing I've, I did this weekend, I was completely radio silent all weekend long. I uh, was out uh, in training for the uh, uh, Washington State Animal Response Team. Uh, basically, we're folks that uh, if your dog goes over a cliff or if your horse has fallen and he can't get up, mm-hmm. uh, we've got the technology and the expertise to come out and, and help you with that. That was kind of an interesting, you know, definitely non-techie type thing, although I definitely bring some tech skills to the to the table there too. We're going to be talking about their website and how it should probably move to WordPress in the next few months. <laughs> cool. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap. Yeah. Yeah. Positive, good, positive place to wrap. <laughs> Very good. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh14. 
You can sign up on the website for email updates that will let you know when there's a new episode posted or subscribe in pretty much any podcast app. We're also on Twitter at the TEH podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash the TEH podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you here again next Tuesday. Bye. 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 Thank you.